Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading today is in Luke 24, 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. But some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things to then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he being Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is near, nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to, uh, to stay with them. When he was at the them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and, and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the, on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. We are in the season called Eastertide, and for me this was a realization this past year that Easter is not just a day, it's actually a season. It lasts 50 days, longer than Lent, 50 days of the season called Easter. And it's, if we're honest, we know that we need it to be more than just one day, because in our life, Resurrection rarely happens in one day. For, for life to, ex, uh, to explode from darkness and from death, usually it takes longer than a day. And so we have lived with this as a community for these past weeks. This morning will be our last sermon in this series. So just to recap what, we, what we've done together, we celebrated Easter as a community. Then we looked at Doubting Thomas, and we talked about, about how doubt and resurrection usually go hand in hand for us. Last week, Andrew gave a great sermon about the theme of Easter and exile, and then today we're going to look at this story that's commonly referred to as the road to Emmaus. The, this story is about two people's journey and about how Jesus 
meets with them there. They are returning from Jerusalem. They're completely heartbroken and disoriented. They had just witnessed their master crucified publicly on, on a cross, and he was buried in a tomb. I mean, think about how unbelievably traumatic that would be. A friend that you have walked with for years, a loved one, not only someone that you respected and had hope for, but also just a loved one, publicly murdered and tortured unjustly. How much confusion would you have in your hearts and minds as you leave that place, warning, what in the world was this about? Jesus was full of power. He had authority. How did he just lay down his life like that? And then with his death was also the death of all your hopes, your dreams, your future. But then something happens in the midst of that darkness. Something happens and it's called Easter. Early that very same morning of Easter morning, the same morning these women found this tomb and had this encounter with the angels, they told the men and the men uh, didn't know what to, what to do with their testimony. And so these two disciples did what many people did after Jesus died. They wanted to go back to their old life. Many times that's what happens when our hope is dashed. We just return to what's familiar. And so here they are making this seven-mile journey back to Emmaus. Their, their home is what we are led to believe. And these two disciples on the seven-mile journey, their hearts and minds are flooded probably with confusion, fear, and sorrow, probably some regret. And as they begin this journey, with, they're between the old life that they had, their dreams, their future, and the future that seems so uncertain waiting for them at home. And in between those two places is where Easter experiences happen for us. Between what was and what will be. Between the now and not yet. Many people call this space, the space between, liminal space. The word liminal comes from the Latin word means uh, lemon, which means threshold. It's just a threshold as a place of entering. And a liminal space is between that which was and what is next. It's a place of transition, waiting, and not knowing. And by our very nature, many of us do not like that experience. We like having control. We like knowing what's ahead of us. It's a liminal space, though. It's, it's a place of deep, rich spiritual potential. Liminal space is like an 18-year-old. Maybe you were there, an 18-year-old with their car packed, with everything moving into the dorm room for the first time, leaving what was behind and uncertain what will be. Maybe it's leaving a job, not knowing what's in front of you. Maybe it's uh, waiting for a child to be born. You know that your life will be disrupted. And it's this place of fear and excitement and a place of, that we can insert courage and faith in. The Franciscan friar Richard Rohr described this potential in the liminal space like this. This space is where we are betwixt and between the familiar and the completely unknown. There alone is our old world left behind while we are not yet sure of the new existence. That's a good space where genuine newness can begin. Easter, right? Get there often and stay as long as you can by whatever means possible. That's wisdom in saying that liminal space, though we might not desire, we might not rush to it, get there often and stay there. In other words, soak it and get the most you can out of it. This is the sacred space where the old world is able to fall apart and a bigger world is revealed. If we don't encounter liminal space in our lives, 
We start idealizing normalcy, comfort, control. The threshold is God's waiting room. We, here we are taught openness and patience as we come to expect an appointment with the divine doctor. Eastertide is a place of liminal space between the old life, old dreams, old habits, and the new life that God wants to burst forth from your heart in this world. What I hope that we see in this passage as we walk through it is two things. First, to see how Jesus longs to meet with you, especially in these seasons of your life, that Jesus wants to journey with you. And second, what I hope we see is watching Jesus' example we can know how to better journey with each other as a community. Luke 24, and so these disciples were walking on this road, and they were talking with each other in verse 14. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along them. But they were kept from recognizing him. I think they're so disoriented, so distracted, that they were not ready to see Jesus. They were distracted by their worries, riddled with fear. And yet, Jesus shows up and starts walking with them. Jesus showed up in particular. He showed up in their honest conversation that they had between friends. They, Jesus was drawn to their vulnerable discussion, honest conversation. And I believe that this happens in our life, that God is drawn into when we, as a community, we are step into honest conversation with each other, that Jesus is, draws close, especially in these liminal moments that we get to experience. And to uh, the disciples' credit, in the midst of this conversation, this random person walks in, and they didn't shoo him off, right? You know, it's like on date night where like, you go out on a date, and you're sat next to a table with kids, and you're like, no, no, no. This is not what we want. We have this idea. We want just to have this controlled conversation. These disciples actually welcome the stranger in. And notice what Jesus does. Notice what Jesus, how Jesus engages them. In verse 17, Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still and their faces downcast. With a simple question, they were stopped in their tracks and they were struck with sorrow. One of them, verse 18, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Jesus says, what things? What do we see Jesus doing right here? Jesus is simply asking questions. This is a really good example for us when we encounter people who are grieving, people are trying to figure out their way forward in such uncertain times. Maybe... How about we start by asking questions? We withhold our advice. We withhold us talking about our own experiences or trying to give a positive spin. But instead, what if we start asking questions? This is why counselors and therapists and spiritual directors are such gifts for us. Why? They are skilled at asking the needed questions. They help us journey with one another. If you read the Scriptures... You will find that God loves to ask good questions. What is the very first question that God poses to humanity? Well, in Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve took the fruit and they experienced shame and guilt in their experience, was the first thing they did was they hid. They hid from God. They were afraid and they hid. And so God, walking through the garden, simply asks, Where are you? Where are you? 
And then furthermore, he asked them, who told you that you have anything to hide? That's a good question. Maybe we need to hear it today. Where are you? Where are you today? The first question that we find Jesus asking John's gospel when Simon and Andrew started following Jesus, just out of curiosity, Jesus simply turns around and asks them, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want? And here, the first question the resurrected Jesus says in Luke's gospel is, what are you two talking about? Hey, what's on your mind? I saw recently that Jesus, this, someone counted it up, they went through the gospels, they, they, they found this, that Jesus asked others 307 questions. He was asked 183, and he directly answered only eight of them. <laughs> Isn't that just absolutely astonishing? Why would the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who actually knows big T truth, the only one who knows big T truth, why would he spend so much time asking questions and very little time answering people's questions? Well, we, we know this, that questions draw out our heart. Questions, a good question is like, a, is like a, a key that can unlock a door into this unexplored world. And you've probably experienced this. My mother was really good. She was really good at asking good questions. And all of a sudden, this beautiful conversation would open up. A single question can open up an unexplored world in someone's heart and mind. We see Jesus here. He's wanting for them to, he's wanting them to open up their hearts and minds. What's going on deeper? We can learn from this, especially parents. I, I know, for example, now this is, uh, this is not autobiographical. It's important because my daughter, I have a couple teachers of my daughter are here. But let's just imagine my kid comes home, throws down her backpack, and just declares, I hate my teacher. I hate my teacher. I know, sorry, Joe. Uh, <laughs> what do you think would be the first response that would come naturally out of me? We don't hate people in this home. Hate's a strong word, right? Like those are the things that naturally come out. But what, what would happen if I said that to, to my daughter Dylan? Hey, we don't hate in this home. What do, you, what do you think she would do? Like open up? No. She'd close off, get defensive, maybe retaliate or something like that. Uh, but she would definitely not open up. What if instead of me like dealing with her language and lack of respect of her awesome teacher, what if instead I go... Man, it sounds like you're really angry. Like, what's going on? What happened? What did, what did Miss Jill do today? Is she, throwing, <laughs> is she throwing things again? Is that what happened? Um, and all of a sudden, the posture of this conversation opens up, or all of a sudden, perhaps my daughter would, would she was giving a bid for me to ask. And I think so often, especially when it comes to our religious life, this is the truest thing I know about God, is God does not care as much about your behavior as he does knowing your heart, drawing out your heart. God wants you to know that he knows every single bit of you. And rather than dealing with the shell, the behavior, God wants to meet with you deeply within your mind and your heart. So I think this is in part why Jesus spends his time asking questions so the reality is that transformative spirituality deals with the heart, what's going on beneath. And you just need to know this, that, that God wants you to open your heart to him. More than managing your actions, dealing with your guilt, God wants to meet you deeper. He wants to go further with you. 
He wants us to be aware of what's going on beneath the surface too. This is why practices, we'll talk about this in our Abide Discipleship experience, practices like the prayer of examine is so important, where we spend, at the very end of our day, we spend time with God in prayer, just in the presence of God, and open up our day. What happened today? We allow God to, to walk us through our day, reviewing it, discovering what has happened around and within us. Even now, I wonder if God would, would want to walk next to you right now, as you're journeying from here to there and ask the, some of the same questions, where have you been? Have you, like, can I just stop you? What do you really want? What's on your mind? What's on your heart today? For these two disciples on the road, Jesus' question caused them to stop and retell the story of Jesus, who he was. That he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, and was put to death on the cross. But then they share even more than just like the events. They start sharing what's going on inside. In verse 21, But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Notice the finality in their words, that the story is over with. Hope is gone. Redemption is gone. There's just nothing but confusion now. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb earlier this morning and didn't find his body. They just don't know what to do with this. And after Jesus hears these words, what's on their minds and their hearts, then he starts to unpack some things. What is interesting for me is Jesus' approach. The same Jesus that walked with them, rather than talking about his life, Jesus, in fact, goes back to the Old Testament, goes back to God's, the bigger story that Jesus' life was a part of. He said in verse 26, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus started to place what had happened in the midst of their confusion. He took that liminal space that they were walking in and he dropped it in the bigger story of scripture. And because of that, the disciples started dots and they started seeing things differently and I think sometimes for many of us especially in these liminal spaces one of the most helpful things we could do is to place what we're what we're experiencing right here and right now and drop it into the bigger story that God is writing for us to drop our life and our experiences in in scripture the bigger story of scripture like the promises that we have in God's word as well as dropping our little chapter this experience in the bigger story of what God is doing in our life to remember, like sometimes we get so close to an experience, we don't have perspective. And Jesus here is wanting to, to widen out their frame so that they start to see what the bigger story is and how, in fact, Jesus' story of redemption was not a plan B. It was always known. It was always a part of God's story. There is a redemptive perspective that Jesus wanted to give them of a Savior who is going to bring about such healing through his own suffering. The disciples were so taken by the end of this conversation, this journey, when Jesus, he starts to act like he's going to keep going. Tricky Jesus. Like he was going to keep on walking. And in verse 29, they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So, so Jesus went to stay with them. This gives us a little insight of who Jesus is. Jesus is so persistent. He will walk with us. He will never leave us by our side. But it seems that the way of Jesus is that he will not force himself upon you. That Jesus responds to an invitation. What if these disciples were content with just the conversation on the road? 
but they weren't willing to invite him in. They weren't willing to, to urge him to stay with, with them. They would have had different knowledge, but they wouldn't have this transformative interaction with the risen and resurrected Jesus. A, a whole other world was opened up by them inviting the stranger in, the other in, by urging Christ to stay. This makes me stop and ask something I've been dealing with this past week. Am I content with Jesus meeting him on the road? Or is my heart ready to urge him to stay, to receive more of him? Do you have such a desire for more of Christ in your life that you would urge Jesus in prayer, God, I want more of you. I'm not content. I want more of you. I need more of you in my life. Please stay with me. Be here. I need you especially in this time and this place, this liminal space between the what was and what will be. I, I just need to hear from you, Jesus. Don't you think that God loves to hear those prayers and rushes to them? It was so with Jesus in this moment. Jesus did stay with the disciples in verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. Jesus does something odd here in the culture. It, to break the bread and give it, that's the role of the master of the house. It's not the role of the guest, but Jesus becomes the host here. And it's something about this moment that allows the lights to turn on. When Jesus did this, verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They had seen Jesus break bread many times, give thanks, give it. They've seen him do that probably around the table countless times. They've also seen Jesus do that when he fed the 5,000, the same thing. Took the bread, thanked the Lord for it, broke it, and gave it. But he also did it the night of his betrayal. And something about seeing Jesus do that. It was the moment where they saw clearly. And I just wonder... When Jesus broke the bread around that table and all of a sudden their eyes were opened, the face of these two disciples with astonishment that there's Jesus. And I think Jesus with this grin, this grin of disrupting the story that they thought was over, and in a moment the bread hits the plate and Jesus is gone. And these disciples were left there awestruck, hearts pounding, when they realized this stranger was in fact the risen Christ, that this liminal space was in fact sacred ground. Verse 32, they asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? These men wondered were our hearts not burning when we remembered the bigger story, when we remembered that there is still hope. And I love this. Though it was night, they were so compelled, they had the seven-mile journey back to Jerusalem. They couldn't wait for morning. They started running back to Jerusalem. Why? The story wasn't over with. Christ had met them there in this liminal space and transformed it, gave it hope sent them on with a mission that despair could be burned by Christ's presence. And I love that idea of them running back to Jerusalem, saying that the story was not over with. Vine community, I just, I just want us to learn this week from the example that we have here, from Jesus of how to journey with each other, 
how we can, as a community, walk with each other. I know we take community seriously. We spend a lot of time with each other. And I just want to say that community won't transform us. It's having Christ in the middle of our community will tr- transform us in the way that Jesus wants. And I think when we see passages like this and we live into it, this is the way in which we put Christ in the middle of who we are as a community. And so I want us to, to, to leave this message and leave this, this place this week looking at ways that we can enact what we see in Jesus through this story. This story teaches us how to keep Christ in the middle of our journey together. And how, our, how does this story teach us that? Real quickly, just to recap it, Jesus is drawn to honest and vulnerable conversations. God is there. Jesus unexpectedly shows up from, in our life from the stranger or the other. Jesus might come in the form of the other in your life. Welcome them. Draw out what is deeper with meaningful and tenetial questions. Place our experience and suffering in the larger story of Scripture, the larger story of what Jesus is doing in our life. And fifth, invite Christ into our life with urgent sincerity. God, we want you to stay here. We, want you, we need more of you. I believe as we do this as a community, as we do this, do not be surprised if your hearts and your souls begin to burn with God's unexpected presence. Wherever you are in your journey, wherever you are between what was and what will be today, just know that Christ is with you. That Christ is with you. And I hope that you today, though you might feel like you're alone on your journey, that you would know that there is a Redeemer who's walking by your side who wants to give you a different outlook, wants to set your heart ablaze again.